Good morning. Hey, nice and loud this morning. My name is Justin. I am not the pastor here. Uh, I'm a ministry partner here. Um, I took the preaching lab a couple of years back, and now I get the privilege of getting to preach once in a while. So, no, not a pastor. I'm actually a construction worker. I'm a framer. I build houses for a living. And as someone that works outdoors, I've been enjoying this wonderful gray August weather. <laughs> the rest of you probably hate that because it's not hot, it's not nice beach weather. It is wonderful working weather. It's also perfect weather for another one of my favorite activities, and that's rock climbing. When it's too hot, my hands get sweaty, I slip off the holds, it sucks. Weather's perfect, it's nice and cool. I can actually get out and do a little bit of climbing. Now, some people think climbing is kind of this crazy sport for weirdos, and that's fine, you can believe that, <laughs> but I really like it. I enjoy the physical challenge and the mental challenge of trying to figure out a route how to get up to the top. And now, one of the key successes to successfully cl climbing a route happens before you even get off the ground. Before you even get on the wall, one of the things you need to do is read the route. You need to look at the route. You gotta see where it goes. You gotta look at all the holds. You gotta decide, okay, is that one really good? That one looks kinda small. It looks like I don't wanna hang on that one very long. You figure out where they are, where they're positioned. Are they right side up? Are they upside down? Do you have to pull them from this side or that side or somewhere in between? You gotta, you've gotta figure out where all the holds are and what they look like, how you're gonna use them. You gotta figure out the movements that you're going to use between the holds because you can memorize all the holds, you can remember all these weird-shaped rocks, but if you, just have, if you just do that, you'll have this memory bank of weird-shaped rocks in your head. You actually have to remember, think about how you're going to move. Do you want to go with your left hand first, or your right hand first? Are your arms going to end up crossed like this? If I step with my right foot first, am I going to be thrown off balance and fall off the wall? You have to think about all these things as you're preparing to get on the wall. Now. If you've ever been to a climbing gym or been to a wall, you've actually probably seen someone doing this, and it probably looks kind of weird. They were probably doing exactly what I was just doing. They're sitting there, they're mumbling to themselves, and they're going right, left, right, right, left foot, right foot, and they're doing this, and they look a little crazy because they're staring at a wall, and they're mumbling to themselves, and they're waving their hands around. <laughs> now, the best rock climber in the world, or at least the guy that has done the hardest route in the world. His name is Adam Andra. And he's very, very good at this whole reading the route thing. And he takes it to a whole nother level. It's, you think the people staring at the wall doing this look crazy. This guy goes a whole step beyond. He actually will lie on the ground, close his eyes, and start moving his hands and his feet, and he starts grunting and he screams a little bit when he holds on to this imaginary tiny hold and he dips his hand in his chalk bag, he shakes out, he's, he's like he's literally, he's climbing the route in his mind, he's visualizing it. Sometimes he'll even get his trainer to hold his hand in the shape of the holds and he's like, nope, too big, too small, yeah, just right. But he takes this reading thing, this visualizing thing to an extreme and other professionals will watch him doing this and they're like, Dude, this guy's weird. <laughs> this is weird. This is weird even for us. Um, but this visualizing, this reading the route, 
gives him this familiarity with all the holds and all the movements. So by the time he gets on the wall, it's like he's already climbed it. And that's actually enabled him to do what's what we call the world's hardest flash. And a flash is a climbing term for doing a really hard route, or any route, but doing a route on the very first try without falling or without hanging on the rope. Now our passage today, um, Paul is writing to the Philippian church and he's writing to us. And he's kind of asking us to do a very similar thing. He's asking us to read our route. He's telling us to examine the holds and the moves that we're going to use. Think about these things before we act. So he's going to ask us to think about things carefully, then act on things carefully in order to grow in a relationship with God. And our passage kind of follows that pattern. So we're going to read it now. You'll hopefully see what I mean. It should be up on the screen. But let's read it now. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, so as we work through this this morning, we're going to break it down into those three bite-sized chunks. Think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Or in even shorter terms, think, act, and abide, or being with God. Before we begin, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word to us. We, uh, thank you that you, you give us the roadmap to think and practice and be at peace with you, Lord. And uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would have us uh, learn from you this morning. pray that you would give us soft hearts to, to take in and absorb um, what you command us to do. And pray that you would give us the courage to act on the things that you would have us act upon. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're gonna st- I'm going to start off by reading verse 8 again. And I'm going to need you to participate a little bit after I read this. So I want you to think about, as I read this, when Paul says, think about these things, I want you to try to remember what things is he talking about. I'll give you a little hint. It may not be quite as obvious as you think it is. So let's read it. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. All right, so what things is Paul talking about? Shout it out. Truth. Pure. Come on, Mennonites, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Lovely, commendable. Yes, we, there's kind of this obvious list here, right? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, excellent. Those are all really great things to think about, but I don't think that's actually what Paul's telling us to think about in this passage. So what's the most common word in this passage besides the word is? What's the most common word? Whatever. Paul's asking, uh, telling us to think about 
whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. He's not saying think about truth in and of itself per se, though that is a good thing to think about and probably meets all those criteria. But he's getting us to think about whatever is true, whatever is lovely, things that are true, things that are lovely, things that are worthy of praise. So if I could use my climbing analogy again, um, if this list of, of virtues, the true, the honorable, the just, this list of virtues is kind of like the holds on the rock climb, okay? They're, they're fixed. They're not going anywhere. They are set in stone. These are permanent virtues and precepts that God has laid out for us. But our job is to figure out, is to think about the whatever, which would be like the moves that we're going to use between these holds. That's the part we need to figure out because that, that part is flexible. That's going to be different. What we think about is going to be a little different for each of us. So while it's important to know the virtues, it's important to know the holds and what they're like, you also have to know how to use them. You also have to know the thoughts and the thought patterns that are compatible with the virtues and precepts that God has laid out for us. Another way to put it, maybe in slightly different terms, is that these, this list of virtues is like the criteria that we would apply to our thoughts and our thought patterns. Paul is not telling us here what to think, He's not telling you to think about truth. Go home and think about truth. Rather, he's giving us tools, he's giving us criteria to discern what is worth thinking about. Because honestly, the things that fill our minds, if we're completely honest with ourselves, don't always meet all this criteria, do they? The things that we let into our minds don't always, aren't always true and pure and lovely. Things like TV or movies the news, television commercials, blogs, vlogs. These are all things that we let into our minds. But how many, much of that stuff actually meets all that criteria? Other things that fill our minds is probably most commonly some of our worries, some of our anxieties, the things that we're concerned about. Things are, you know, you're sitting here and you're thinking, did I leave the oven on? <laughs> we worry about things, it fills our minds. Probably one of the biggest things. And last week, Pastor Chris addressed that. He read uh, verses 6 and 7 right before our passage that said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So he talked about bringing our anxieties, bringing our, bringing our troubles and our worries to God. But this week we're going to go a step further and we've got some practical tools how to process some of these worries, how to process some of these anxieties, how to process just these other thoughts and things that dwell in our minds. So we're going to do another little experiment. You're also going to have to participate a little bit here. I know I'm asking a lot. <laughs> we're going to insert our own whatever. So what I need you to do right now is think about something that occupies your mind a lot of the time. Maybe that's your favorite TV show. Maybe that's your favorite sports team. Maybe that's the work that needs to get done on the house. Maybe that's a relationship problems. Maybe it's worries. Maybe it's anxieties. Think about something. Come up with something in your mind. Maybe it's the thing that you daydream about when you start to drift off during a sermon. <laughs> that's usually my gauge of where my mind's at. <laughs> uh -oh. So think, think about that thing, keep that thing in mind, 
And then we're going to apply some of these criteria to it. And we're going to see if the things that fill our mind actually make the cut. All right, you got it? Everyone's got something? All right, first criteria is truth. Is your thing, is this thing fact? Is it true? Is it real? So a lot of our worries or some of our anxieties sometimes come, for example, from what we think other people think of us, right? But how much of that is actually true? How much of that is a fact and how much of that is our own fear or the enemy just telling us a lie? Is it true? Is that thing true? Or does that thing you think about, or does that thing that fill your mind, does it reveal truth? So a lot of TV shows, I'm not saying you need to like watch only documentaries, because those are facts and that's true. No, fiction can also reveal truth. It can say truth through, say a truth through, the, through a story. Is it revealing a truth? But ultimately, is it revealing a truth or saying a truth that is compatible with the standards of the Bible? Because we as believers hold God's word, the Bible, as kind of the golden standard of truth. So is this thing that you're thinking about compatible with the truth that the Bible gives? Second criteria, or the second couple sets of criteria is honorable, honorable and just. This one's kind of odd. But are the assumptions that we make about people, again, if we're worried about what people think of, this, of us, are our assumptions just? Are they fair? Are we thinking about others or the things that we let into our mind causing us to think about others in an honorable way, in a way that dignifies them, in a way that is just and fair towards them? Are they promoting injustice? Are they promoting a dishonor? Or are they promoting honor? Are they promoting justice? Third set is pure and lovely. Now, again, like I said earlier, if we're completely honest, how much of the TV, the music, and the ads, and the shows that we watch, how much of that is actually pure? Be willing to guess that a lot of TV, a lot of movies, a lot of ads is highly sexualized in our culture and can cause us to lead, lead us into impure thoughts, lead us into lust. Now, I'm not saying we need to be prudes and just put on the binders, because the second part of this is lovely, to think about things that are lovely. So while God calls us to be pure, he also calls us to think about things that are beautiful, that are lovely. So this one's a little one, hard one to sort out, and I don't want to, we could preach a whole sermon about purity and, and all this, but it's, Fundamentally, I think what this comes down to is, or a good example of this would be making that distinction between love and lust. If you're thinking about your spouse, that is pure, that is, that is lovely, you're appreciating their beauty, that's great. If you're thinking about someone else's spouse, that is impure, <laughs> even if they are lovely, that's not pure. So it's making that distinction. And that, that also applies to the music, to the art, to the photography, to the stuff that we watch. There's, it can get very gray in the world of art, in the world of television and photography, between art and pornography. And we have to make that distinction. We have to judge our hearts. We have to decide, is that pure? Is, are my thoughts pure? Or is that leading me to impure thoughts? Finally, the last three are commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. So I kind of almost see this as like this sliding scale of like how you would rate this 
your thoughts? Is it commendable? Is it like you would recommend it to a friend? Like if this was a movie, you'd be like, yeah, you should definitely see it, but just once. Or is it like excellent? You're like, this is a great movie. You have to see it. Maybe even see it in 3D. Or is this like worthy of praise? You're like, this is an awesome movie. I saw it 50 times. <laughs> right, how far would you go to recommend it? How far would you go to recommend this thought? How far would you go to talk it up? Would you commend someone else for also thinking of these things? How good is it really? Is it worthy of praise? So, how did you do? How did your thought thing do? If this were a rock climb, did it fall off somewhere? Did it even make it off the ground at the first hold of truth? Did it maybe slip off kind of around that like purity mark there? Or did it make it all the way up to worthy of praise? Were our thoughts, were your thoughts compatible with the virtues and precepts that are laid out for us in our passage? Did they pass this kind of stress test of God's word? If they did, that's great. You've got this God-approved, Paul's stamp of approval. That's a good thing to think about. But maybe they didn't. And maybe we need to look for something else that does fill those criteria. Because this isn't just about eliminating bad thoughts. This isn't just about telling us what not to think about. This is actually helping us to affirm things that are good. Affirm things that God does want us thinking about. And this is more than just nice thoughts. This is more than just platitudes that we want to have a nice thought about something. This word think about is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as to dwell on or to be regarded as or counted as. In Hebrews 11, uh, we, talk, we hear about Abraham and that his faith or his, yeah, his face was count, counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him as righteousness. It's the same, it's the same word count as, to think about, to regard as. So we're not just talking about something that's like a nice thought, but this is actually something to count as valuable, to think about deeply, to ruminate on, to meditate on. Now Psalm 1 says that a blessed man is one who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. Now we're not talking about like mm, meditation here. We're talking about deep thought, deep rumination, letting this kind of soak in. So that's what, that, those are the kind of thoughts Paul is telling us to pursue, these good things that are going to, that we can think deeply on, that can soak into our minds, and that can eventually lead us to act, into action. And that brings us to our second part of our passage and our second point, acting, practicing these things. Okay, so I want to go back to my rock climbing analogy one more time. <laughs> last time, I promise. So when I first started learning how to rock climb, I went with my wife, and she's been climbing since she was like a little kid, and she's really good. She's been around a long time. And one of the benefits of being around for a long time and being really good is that you know all the other people that are really good and have also been around a long time. So when I got started, I was surrounded by all these people that were like, really good, way better than me. And that's kind of intimidating because you're fumbling off the easy stuff that they can do blindfolded. And they're walking up the wall and they look so smooth, they're so calculated, they just, they make it look easy. They look like gravity doesn't have any effect on these guys. And I started watching them and I'm like, I really, I would like to be able to do that. 
So I learned by watching, and I saw how they moved, and I started to mimic how they moved. And it turns out, if you do that, it actually works. It actually makes it easier. <laughs> by mimicking, I didn't even know exactly what I was doing, but by mimicking their movements, I started to learn how to climb better and easier. In our passage, Paul kind of gives himself as an example like that to the Philippian church. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He's setting himself up as someone that they can mimic to learn how to do this better. Now that may seem kind of conceited, like, hey, look at me. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, look at me, look how good I am. Because he makes a point in there are other places in scripture of saying that he is a sinner. He, in fact, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He knows he's not perfect, but he has been doing this a while. He's been doing this Christian thing. He's been walking with the Lord. He's like, hey, watch what I do. You might be able to learn a thing or two. And he doesn't just set himself up as the only example. Earlier in Philippians, Paul really lifts up his friends Timothy and Epaphroditus. He sets them up as these other great examples of faith that the Philippian church should follow. Now we might ask at this point, why doesn't Paul tell us to look at the example of Jesus? Or why doesn't he tell the Philippians to look at the example of Jesus? Because we as Christians, we're like, we should follow Jesus. We should follow the example of Jesus. But the thing is, none of the Philippians had actually met Jesus in person. And they didn't have a printed version of the Bible. They could read about Jesus. So how are they supposed to follow Jesus? Well, they followed Jesus by following Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus do. Because Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus are living imitators of Christ to the, to the Philippian church. They're showing them, they're demonstrating to them how to live like Christ lived. And we, in our church, in our congregation, we have living examples just like that, right here, right here in this room. So as I was looking at this list of things, the pure, the just, the worthy of praise, the honorable, all these things, I was studying into this, looking at some of these words. It turns out a lot of these criteria are the exact same criteria that we would see on our requirements for elders as given in the Bible. These elders, elders, church leaders, people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. So here at Central, we're, we're elder-led. We are kind of have an elder-based leadership. And our elders are chosen from among the congregation as people that have demonstrated that they have knowledge of these virtues. Not only that they have knowledge of these virtues, but that they know how to use them. They have demonstrated a life lived in faith. So we have these examples. We have... We can see the examples of Timothy. We have our elders to show us how to do things, but we also have the privilege of Scripture. We have this thing that the Philippian church did not have, which means we get to read about Jesus. We get to know Jesus. We get to see his example, how to live. We get to read about Paul. We get to read about Timothy and see the examples. We can also read actually any part of the Bible, and you will see stories of people that live their life well in faith. And this is all summed up in Hebrews 11, there's this kind of big list of all the kind of heroes of the faith known as the Faith Hall of Fame in the Bible. Now, right after Hebrews 11, after talking about all these kind of heroes of the faith, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we are surrounded by elders, since we have the the examples of Paul, since we have the Bible, since we get to read about Jesus, since we have Hebrews 11 and this big list of heroes of the faith, since we are surrounded by that big crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let's get called into action. Let's cut out those thoughts that are dragging us down, those thought patterns that are holding us back from running the race. We're called to action here. We're called to run a race. We're called to practice these things by Paul. Practice things that meet the criteria, that meet the precepts of the Lord. Practice the things that Paul and Timothy, and our elders and our pastors, practice those things that they do and exemplify for us. Practice those things that you see written there in that Faith Hall of Fame. I wish we had time to read Hebrews 11 because it's awesome. We don't, it's really long. James, in the book of James, James says faith without works is dead. It's not good enough just for us to think about nice thoughts, but we actually have to put those thoughts into action. We can fill our minds with all this stuff, but if we're not doing anything about it, it's meaningless. It would be like if I told you that the building is on fire and we all need to exit the building calmly. And you said, thanks for the good word this morning, and you kept sitting there. No, if the building was on fire and I told you we needed to leave and you actually believed that the building was on fire and we needed to leave, what would you do? You would leave. <laughs> and if you didn't, couldn't find the exit, you would follow someone who does know where the exit is. So if we think that something is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, maybe it's something we ought to be doing or something we ought to be pursuing. And if it's not those things, maybe it's just dead weight that we need to cast aside. Now, what really actually meets all these criteria? There's actually a lot of things that do. There's only one that really perfectly and fully meets all these things, and that is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, it says, tells us to run this race looking to Jesus. Run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, all this stuff is meaningless unless we're doing it in the pursuit of Jesus. We can think nice thoughts, we can do good things, but if we're not doing it in pursuit of Jesus, it's completely meaningless. It's just nice thoughts and nice things. Because what we're actually pursuing is not nice thoughts, it's not nice actions. We're actually pursuing a relationship with God. We want to abide with God. Now this, I don't want you to hear me wrong, this is not some two-step process to salvation. This isn't some magic trick to get God to have favor with you. See, Jesus earned us favor with God when when he was killed on the cross and came back to life. Our sin separated us from God. And Jesus took our sin upon himself He died, and he took that sin down to the grave, and he left it there. And then he rose again, and we rise with him into new life, into new relationship with God. 
So thinking about the right things and doing the right things does not earn us a relationship with God. This will not earn you a relationship with God. Jesus does that. These things, thinking of the right things, and acting on the right things, does help us grow in that relationship with God. It's like, it's like in marriage. You can have a wedding, but that doesn't mean you're going to have a great marriage. You can have a great wedding, it doesn't mean you're going to have a great marriage. Because a wedding is just the beginning of this lifelong pursuit of your spouse. Now, if you're off pursuing other people, or dwelling on thoughts of other people, or if you're doing things that your spouse hates all the time, you're not going to have a very good relationship with your spouse, are you? And it's just like that. If We may have a relationship with God. We, we may have been given a relationship with God through Jesus. But if we don't pursue God, if we do things that are contrary to what he wants us to do, we're not going to have a great relationship with God. Now, it's not quite the same because we're not married to God. But the Bible does use a bit more of a family analogy. It talks about us as being adopted sons and daughters of, of God through Jesus. So we're family with God. And you know what the funny thing about family is? You're stuck with them. Family is family. You're in it for the long haul. And now some families are great, some are awesome, some are bad. Some families are functional. Most families are dysfunctional. I don't even know what a functional family is, honestly. Probably not a thing. (laughs) But if we think and act in ways that honor God, we can improve that family relationship. It's a step in the right direction of bringing us into a more functional family relationship with God, our Father. Just as Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You'll be closer to God. Now, last week we read this passage that said, you know, bring your, bring your burdens and your anxieties to God and the peace of God will be with you. Now in verse nine, Paul says, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see the difference? You hear the difference? One, last week we were talking about getting the peace of God, finding the peace of God. This week, we're talking about pursuing the God of peace. Now, the problem is, so many of us want the peace of God, but we don't really want the God of peace. We want the benefits of the relationship without the work. We want to be friends with benefits with God. We want the benefits of the relationship without actually doing the work of being in a relationship with God. We want to pray our, our, our troubles away. We just want to cast it all on God that he can take it away. And he can and he does. But we don't want to do the dirty work of processing our thoughts, of renewing our minds, of digging into those criteria and filtering out the things that we think of. We don't want to do that dirty work. We want God to serve us, but the feeling's not mutual. But the thing is, we're called to run a race. It's, running a race is not an easy thing. It's a hard thing. It's hard work. Relationships are hard work. But we're called to run that race. We're called to cast aside that weight. We're called to think critically of the things that we think about and do. See, we want God to be our therapist, 
and make us feel better, but we don't always want him to be our coach and actually challenge us to do better. And in this, in this passage this morning, that's exactly what God is doing. He's coaching us how to pursue him. He's teaching us how to be in relationship with him. And this process of coaching, we have this big Christian word for it. It's called sanctification. <laughs> we can call it coaching. It's easier. It's God coaching us how to be in relationship with him. So we're justified, we're saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we're sanctified, we're made holy by God teaching us, coaching us how to be in relationship with him. Last, actually not last week, two weeks ago, Jonathan challenged us to, to grow in this path of, of, of sanctification. He challenged us to grow in our relationships with God and not just like, oh yeah, I need to grow in my relationship with God. He challenged us to grow in our relationship with God every week. It's this week, next week. So that's like, that's like a solid deadline. <laughs> so I thought to myself, as he was challenging us, I'm like, but how do I do that practically? How, how do I practically grow in my relationship with God? And then I thought about this passage that we're reading today. It says, it literally says, practice these things. Practically do these things. It's the same root word. Practically do these things. That's how you grow in relationship with God. By refining our thoughts, by filtering them through these things, by following in the examples given to us by Paul and our church leaders in the Bible. When we think about the things of God and act on the things of God, we're practicing the things of God and that's how we grow in our relationship with God every week. Even if it's just one thought that you tidy up, you've grown a little bit more in your relationship with God, of being closer to God, abiding in God. So this is this other word that we have for being in relationship with God is abiding. Now, this isn't like, I'm gonna give you the real oversimplified definition that's probably not the technical definition, but abiding is basically being with God, being in a close relationship with God. There's, pro- there's more to it than that, but that's, that's the simple Cole's note definition for now. Now, John 15 has this to say about abiding. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this makes it kind of sound like if you have a relationship with God, God will just give you whatever you want and you can ask for it. But what's really going on here is that God's saying, if you're abiding in me, you're thinking about the things that I think about, and you're doing the things that I want you to do, you're going to want the things that I want to give you. (laughs) It's like Jesus is saying, if you want the things I want to give you and ask for them, I'll give them to you. So when Paul tells us to think about these things, he's teaching us, he's challenging us to align our minds with the mind of God. We'll want the same things as him, and then when we ask for it, the things we wish will be the things he wishes for us. So that sounds a little circular, and if you think that sounds circular, just hold on to your hats, because we're going back to John again, and we're going to read a little bit more about abiding. So the next thing he says about abiding is he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the thing is, we can't do it on our own. We can't, we can't even think the right things or act the right things unless God is abiding in us. It's impossible. It's his work in us. Yet our passage kind of seems to say that we have to think on the right things and act on the right things and then God will abide with us. But I don't know if it's quite saying that. It would be inaccurate to say that abiding is the result of thinking and acting. When Paul says, do these things and the God of peace will be with you, it's more of a statement of the obvious than this formula of how to get God to be with you. He's more like saying, if you go stand, if I go stand over here by this microphone, I'm standing close to the microphone. Right? It's obvious. It's just, it's this straight up thing. Maybe a better way to put it is, it would be like saying, if you put one foot in front of the other, you will be walking. Okay, walking isn't this magical gift that happens to you when you put one foot in front of the other. Walking is putting one foot in front of the other. Putting thought in front of action, thought in front of action, thought in front of action, that is abiding. One foot in front of the other, that's walking. Pretty soon you're putting one foot in front of the other, you're putting thought in front of action, you're going faster and faster, next thing you know, you are running the race God calls you to run. With your eyes fixed on Christ, and God your coach, cheering you on, telling you how to run, showing you how to run. Now I want to challenge us this morning, and I want to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to echo that challenge that Jonathan gave us two weeks ago. I want to challenge us to grow in our relationship with God this week, grow in our relationship with God next week, and every week after that. To abide more deeply in him every week, even if it's one thought at a time. Now, if you're here and you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want an abiding relationship with this God that we're talking about, all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and ask him for forgiveness. All you have to do is ask. If you're not sure exactly how that works or how to do that, we've got a prayer team. We've got Pastor Jonathan here. I'd love to pray with you. We're here for you. We will gladly walk you through that. If you are a follower of Jesus here, if you've been doing this Christian thing for a while, then I, I want you to think with me. Think critically of what dwells in our minds. What do we let into our minds? What fills our minds? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? If it's not that, find something that is. Maybe that's just for now the word of God. Maybe that's Jesus. I want to close this morning by just reading our passage because honestly, God says it a whole lot better than I can. So let's read it one more time. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, those of us here at Promontory, finally, church at Promontory, 
whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son that brought us into relationship with you. And we thank you that you give us the words and the instructions to grow in relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would convict us to renew our thoughts, to renew our minds, to think about things that you would have us think about. We pray that those thoughts would lead us to action, to follow in the example of others, to follow in the ways that you have laid out for us. And Lord, we pray that you would abide with us so that we can accomplish these things, so that we can grow every week, every day in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.